Father, we have sung about Christ our King, and we come today to look into your word, which we thank you for, and ask you to help us to behold Jesus Christ our Lord in even a greater sense. And help what we learn today, Lord, impact his kingdom. And we thank you for the promise of that kingdom, one that will last forever. In the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Today we begin a sermon series. You can see some icons that Brianna has put on the bottom of the screen indicating what those sermons will be about. Beginning today, we're going to talk about the announcements of Christmas. And in particular today, it'll be the announcement of, to Mary. And then if I can remember the icons right, next week it'll be about the shepherds. And we should have the real pastor back next week. Then to Joseph, then the announcement to Herod, then Christmas Eve will be to Anna and Simeon, and then finally the day after Christmas on the 26th, we'll talk about the announcement to the world. But today, the announcement of Christmas to Mary. Before we begin, the theme verses that Jason's using for this sermon series are found in Romans, where Paul wrote in his letter to Rome the following. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how were they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I will be arguing in part that we ought to be supporting those who preach, but I will also argue that you are also preachers to preach and to announce the good news. The title of today's sermon is Responding Like Mary. We're going to take a look at the announcement to Mary, which is familiar to a lot of you, maybe very familiar, but I think there'll be some things we need to be reminded of and perhaps learn for the first time. So approach this as if you're reading this for the first time and have a heart of wonder when you see these things unfold. When we hear the good news about Jesus Christ, and we're fortunate, we get to hear it all the time. If you come to this church, you hear it every week the gospel and the good news, and we sing about the good news and the gospel. But what's the response when we hear it? And that's what I'd like us to focus on today. Before we do, I want to remind you about the laws of nature. Uh, and I have a reason for doing that. For example, uh, water flows and forms. It's just a natural thing of water, right, in nature. It flows and levels off, so it's level. Water doesn't slope uphill or anything like that. And you can't take the ocean 
according to the laws of nature and pulled apart so you could walk through it. That's just not the laws of nature. You can't walk on top of water. The laws of nature says once you're dead and really dead and you've been dead for three or four days, you can't come back to life again. Nature is the laws that the creator, God, has programmed. Gravity, for example, is another one. In fact, as cool as it is, you might like to do this. I was going to say we ought to all stand up on the pew, jump off, and I will know for sure that you're all going to go down to the floor. But I thought it would be cool when I was thinking about that. If we were like away from the law of gravity, like in outer space, if we could all just worship by floating around, I think that'd be neat sometime. Maybe we'll get to do that. But if the creator of nature decides to intervene, he has the power whenever he wants to to change those rules, right? He could say, I'm going to have the ocean go apart for a while. I'm going to have my son, who is God himself, walk on the water. And I'm going to have my son reach down to a little girl and bring her back to life. Or bring him back to life. Or bring his friend, Lazarus, back to life. The laws of nature says, for a woman to bear a child, she has to have husband-wife relationships with her husband. Unless God says differently. That's the way it must be. So before we begin, I want to remind you of a visit before Mary's visited and announced. Gabriel visits Zechariah in the earlier part of Luke chapter 1. He goes and says to a man named Zechariah, who was a priest, your wife is going to have a son. Zechariah didn't believe him because his wife was well past. The laws of nature said she was too old to have a child. And he said, I'm too old too. That's not going to happen. He didn't really believe the angel. And so as a result, the angel, and the angel, by the way, the child he was talking about was John the Baptist. You're going to have a child and you're going to name him John. And he will be a forerunner for the Christ who is coming. But because you didn't believe, you'll be silent and you'll be unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my word. So Gabriel visited Zechariah. And then a few months later, he visits Mary, who's the topic of our conversation today. So in Luke 1, 26, it was in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In other words, Elizabeth had been, uh, she conceived six months earlier. Gabriel was again sent back to the, what would be modern day Israel. This time to Nazareth, to a city in Galilee. We said last week, up in the upper section, northern section is Galilee. And then I think I made note and we had Samaria and then Jerusalem region down in the bottom part. He sent to Nazareth. Nazareth, if you can picture that region, uh, there's the Mediterranean Sea, there's the Sea of Galilee, and this would be approximately halfway between those two. There's no significance to Nazareth. There's none whatsoever. And it's surprising that God chose that. I mean, I think if we were writing this story, we wouldn't have chose Nazareth. It, there's nothing significant about the town. Earlier estimates had a lot more people than they estimate today. 
The Bible experts today estimate about 490 people lived there. So we're talking about the size of Sligo, Shippenville, something like that. The angel came to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And of course, the virgin's name was Mary. Both of these men, both of these, this man and this woman, were of the house of David, meaning they were in the lineage of David. They were, David is their ancestors of both of them, and that's important. Now, I want to say something about Mary before we continue, because there are some views about Mary way over here, and there are some views about Mary way over here. Some say that Mary was divine. She's the queen of heaven, that we pray to Mary uh, and ask for grace for Mary, that Mary was sinless. No, she wasn't divine. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. That wasn't even held by any church for about the first 15 or 1,600 years, and the position that some churches have right now, that's a, that is like 150 years or less, that position. It just kind of come out of nowhere. So that's one extreme. The other extreme is that people want to swing the, pe swing the pendulum away from that, so they disregard Mary whatsoever. Mary deserves our respect. Paul, the Apostle Paul, deserves our respect and our admiration. Moses deserves our respect. And we could go on and on. John the Baptist, of course, deserves our respect. Mary it was blessed. She deserves our respect, but she doesn't deserve our worship. So I just want to make that clear at the beginning. Okay, Mary, some consider Mary to be a co-redeemer with Jesus. Mary needs, needed to be redeemed herself. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. So the angel comes to Mary. High estimates of Mary says she was 17 or 18. I've read other people that say she was probably only 12. But again, the most popular estimation of Mary was she was 15, probably 14. Now that in itself blows my mind. Uh, because I have granddaughters that are that age, and some of you have children here today that are that age. Mary was a very young girl, so understand that. When you see this mature reaction that she has to this announcement, the angel says to Mary, greetings. You're, a fa you're favored. The Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to figure out what does this greeting mean? What sort of greeting is this? Well, I don't know about you, but I would have been looking for the exit at that time. To get out of there, I would have thought, this is really strange. But Mary's a little more mature than me, and she stuck it out. Now, did God know that? Is that why he came to her? Why is God choosing Mary? We don't have an answer for that. You'll search the rest of your life, and we don't have an answer for why God chooses certain people to do certain things. I don't know. Could Mary have refused him? Could the Apostle Paul have refused him? Could Moses have refused God? I don't know. I think they had a choice, but I don't know if they could have or not. Okay? All I know is by the time God went there, it's a done deal because he knows everything about everybody and their character and how they're going to react before they ever get there. 
So Mary's trying to figure out what kind of greeting this is. And the angel takes his time with Mary. And that's one thing that I'm impressed about. Mary has a, Mary has a good, humble, gentle servant's attitude. And the angel responds accordingly to that. He says to her, Mary, don't be afraid. You have found great favor with God. Again, why? I don't know. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you're going to have a son. And give him the name Jesus. John the Baptist's father was told, give him the name of John. So God has already named these two boys that haven't even been born yet. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Almost for sure, Mary would have not been educated. Mary probably couldn't read. Mary, if she would, if, barring any circumstances, special circumstances like happened because we know she went to Jerusalem. But other than making a pilgrimage to there, she might have never traveled more than 10 miles from her home. She'd have been poor the rest of her life, and she'd have had children, and her children had grown up and been poor. Mary would have, had, have lived in very humble conditions, a peasant girl. But Mary would have went to the synagogue, most likely, or she would have had the men come back from the synagogue and repeat the scriptures that were read. They didn't have a Bible to read, but Mary probably couldn't read anyways, like I said. But she would have converted some things to memory. But I am certain in my own mind that Mary would have heard that God was blessing the Jewish people through David and his line. That from one day would come a king from them who would roll righteously and set on that throne forever and ever and ever and his reign would have no end. They called this person who would be anointed by God the chosen one or the anointed one or the Messiah or another name, the Christ. So Mary would have known someday the Christ is coming and I suspect even with her little bit of education, Mary would have said, you're telling me I'm going to conceive the Messiah? that I'm going to give birth to the Messiah, the one we've all been waiting for? Mary says to the angel, now, isn't this what Zechariah had just, we had just read that he said, how, how could this possibly be? I'm an old man, my wife's an old woman. Because Mary says, how can this be? I've never been with a man. My, I'm engaged right now. She was engaged to Joseph. Engagements were different back at that time. When you were engaged, it was a done deal. You were legally husband and wife, but you haven't had the ceremony yet, and you don't live together yet as husband and wife. The wedding was being planned, but it, they had to go through with it, and if they decided for some reason they weren't going to, you had to file papers of divorce to, ter to terminate that union between the two though they haven't physically been together yet. And that's what Mary's saying. You're telling me I'm going to conceive I haven't had relations with a man. And the angel answers her, takes time and explains it to her. 
I want to see if you understand it. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He's going to be holy. Holy doesn't mean perfect, but it does, and he was. Holy means be set apart. There'll be nobody else like him. Holy means you are set apart. We are called to be holy, Christians, which means it does mean to try perfect, perfection, but we're not going to make that. But we're to be set apart. We're to look different to the rest of the, than the rest of the world. And the rest of the world ought to look at Christians and say they're different. There's something different about them. Your child will be called the son of God. He's going to have your DNA, Mary, but he's, not, he's going to have God's DNA too. And in God's DNA, unlike all the rest of us, everybody born from Adam and Eve who committed the first sins, we were all born with a nature to sin. We've all sinned. Who taught you how? Who teaches your kids to say no? Who teaches you to rebel and to want to do things your way or to have pride and so forth? That comes by nature. We're all born with that nature to sin. That's why we're all in trouble, and we need somebody to well, come and save us, don't we? Because we just can't do it ourselves. We were born with that nature, except one person, and that's not Mary. That was Jesus. Jesus was born with God's DNA and the fact that he didn't have the nature to sin. Okay, but how is this going to happen? Because we're all curious. Just how does this happen? I'll answer that to you as soon as you answer me a question. How did God make the earth? What tools did he use? When he put the moon where he did? How did God make trees? Animals? People? How does God make anything? He just has to think about it or speak it into existence. He just says it will happen. When it says the, the power of the Most High, it's God's power. The ability is just to speak something into existence. But there's a, some, a phrase here I've been missing all of my life. Will overshadow you. And I had to look up and see where that, was that used anywhere else? It is in the Mount, uh, the, yeah, the Mount of Transfiguration. It also is in the Old Testament describing God's present in the presence in the tabernacle. You see, God can be everywhere at one time and is everywhere. But he needed to give a mental picture to the people and and say, well, okay, look at the tabernacle behind a curtain, the Holy of Holies. That's where God's presence is at that time. That is a very, very, very sacred place. And God's presence overshadowed in that place. So the overshadowing means the presence of God is there to make this happen. It's not a physical thing, see. God's spirit, it's a spiritual thing. So in essence, if I dare, maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this, but Mary's womb became the Holy of Holies, the place where the presence of God came and made this miracle happen, the conception of Jesus. And that answered her question. 
The angel goes on and says, but be, I guess even before I, I mention this, let me, one thing about, well, let me hold off on that. The angel says, and you want to hear another miracle? Your cousin Elizabeth, who's too old to have a child, she's having a child. In fact, she's six months pregnant. She was said to be barren because nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. And that's how Elizabeth is pregnant, and that's how you're going to become pregnant. Now, in verse 38, Mary's response. Mary said, no, this can't be. i got my whole life ahead of me, and you're going to ruin my life. I have big plans. Joseph and I are getting married, and we're going to have kids, and we're going to take them to the lake, and my kids are going to play, and we're going to do this. You're going to, this would ruin my reputation. I couldn't even show my face around here. I don't want this. Go to get somebody else to do it. Did you ever hear a teenager if they get upset? That's not what Mary said, is it? Her response is, well, I'm the servant of the Lord. I, my life exists to serve the Lord. So let it be what God has told you to tell me. If this is what God wants, then that's what I want. I've noticed something, though. Whenever God asks people to do things, and I don't know if this is always the case, but I think it's most often the case. When he asks you to do something, you think you'd be blessed and life would be easy. But it becomes hard. When he asked Moses to go lead his people out of, out of Egypt to the promised land, that wasn't easy. That was extremely, extremely hard. When he asked, when, when he asked the Apostle Paul, quit persecuting Christians, I'm going to use you to win them over. That wasn't an easy thing for Paul. Paul's life didn't become a bed of roses after that. Paul's life became extremely hard, and we can give example after example. When God says, well, our most recent people that we, that we uh, blessed and sent on with Brian and Laura, that, they want to do what God wanted them to. Well, that doesn't make things easy. They've got to go learn a whole other language. They've got to go to a place that's not home. They're far away from their family. When God calls you to do something, it's not usually going to be easy. She says, I'm your servant, so let it be how, how God wants it to be. And the angel left because his mission was completed. And we admire Mary for her response, don't we? We need to respond like Mary. So for those of you taking notes, I think this is the first one. What did Mary do that we ought to copy, emulate? We need to believe God. When God says something, through his spirit to us or in his word, we need to believe him, even if it doesn't make sense. And a lot of times what God wants doesn't make sense. But God's thoughts and his ways are not man's ways, are they? Another response, to be used by God, one need not be equipped, only called. Now again, looking at the Apostle Paul, at the time he was knocked down in the road to Damascus, I would say he, he wasn't equipped to preach the gospel. God equipped him and trained him for a period of time. 
after he knocked him down and called him to do that. Moses wasn't equipped, but he equipped him as time went on. The, the 12 apostles, well, the 11, they weren't equipped, most certainly. They weren't trained in anything and became the greatest preachers probably to walk the earth, or some of them. The message for us here is, I've heard people say, well, I think God's calling me to do this, but I can't do that because I'm not equipped. I'm not prepared to do that. My argument would be, if God's calling you, pursue that. Well, how? Well, if I think God's calling me for some ministry here in the church, I'd probably, first thing, I'd probably go talk to Jason and say, I think God's calling me to do this, but I don't know what to do about it. In fact, I'm probably standing here today because I had that very conversation with Jason. And he said, well, I'm sensing the same thing, but let's talk to the elders about it and see what they think. And then we talk to the congregation. If God's calling you to do something, don't play the, I'm not equipped to do it. I don't have the skills to do that card. God will give you the skills if he wants you to do it. Also responding like Mary. Mary says, oh, well, I'm a servant. So all Christians are called to be a servant of God. Not some. All. We're all, everyone who's truly born again and on their way to heaven, you have a ministry to do. It's, the ministry is not for some. It's for all of us. Remember what Paul will speak and say, all members of the church have different gifts and need to bring them together for the church to function right. Some are the legs, some are the eyes, some are the hands, and so forth. All Christians are to have that attitude like Mary did. Well, I'm here just to serve you, Lord, so whatever you want, may your will be done. By the way, who else said that, may your will be done? About 30-some years later in the garden, I don't want to go to the cross, but your will, I've come to serve you. Jesus himself, God as a person, says to God the Father, not what I want, what you want. And if he says that, well, the, those of us that follow Jesus must have that attitude. We need to respond like Mary and realize those words. Nothing is impossible for God. And if you're using, I don't know, the NIV, I think, another translation, it translates that same exact phrase. God's word will never fail. It means the same thing, right? Whatever God says, it's going to happen. Nothing's impossible for God. If God says it, you can take it to the bank. It's 100% going to happen. Now, the angel visited Mary told her this incredible thing. Did she go tell her mother this? Who, who does she go to? There's not a soul going to believe her. No one's going to believe her, are they? I mean, it's a hard thing to believe. Who could she possibly talk to that could understand that? Oh, wait a minute. Another person who had been visited by the well, her husband was visited by the same angel who's going to have a miraculous birth. So she hightails it to Elizabeth and goes to talk to her. Who else can understand her? In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a town in Judah. I'm not sure exactly where this was. I was trying to find if they made a best guess of where it is, but it looks like she traveled down near Jerusalem, up into the hill country outside of Jerusalem. It says here to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. She walks in the door. Cousin Elizabeth, it's me, Mary. 
Now that's all that's said as far as what the Bible records. That's all that's said. And Elizabeth heard Mary, and the baby leaps in her womb, and Elizabeth becomes filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the baby, something's going on with the baby, and we'll, you know, maybe Elizabeth will explain that to us. But I'm wondering what it means that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, let's keep reading. And Elizabeth exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed are you, woman, and among all women, how blessed you are, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? How did Elizabeth know that? Oh, I know. Mary probably emailed her before she left home. <laughs> probably called her on her cell phone. Or maybe she stuck a letter in with the Pony Express and had him take it ahead of her. Did you ever stop to think, how did Elizabeth know that? Mary just walks in the door and she said, what's the mother of my Lord doing here? How many days is this since the visit of the angel? Well, it takes about three days probably to get to the hill country. This could have been in less than a week since the angel said you're going to conceive which maybe she did right after the angel left. And by the way, I, I explained it was a spiritual thing, but I know, think Mary knew right when the Holy Spirit filled her and she conceived. And the reason why I think that is, I know whenever I accepted Christ and was born again, I knew something inside me was different. I knew that almost right away, and it kept changing day by day. But I sent you... Do you ever sense the Spirit still? Do you sense, well, God's really speaking to me right now, or the presence of God is here? Sometimes it's in a worship service. Yeah. When the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Here she is again. And she says, you are so blessed because you believed what you were told. Well, how does Elizabeth know that? Because she's filled with the Holy Spirit. This is God speaking through Elizabeth. When God fills a person with the Spirit, often he uses that person to deliver a message to another person, to a church, to other people. That's the significance of Elizabeth being filled with the Spirit here. She's now under the control of God, the Holy Spirit. By the way, if you think the Trinity's not in the Bible, you missed this passage, didn't you? Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. Mary, Elizabeth saying, Mary... Praise God you believed what you heard. And I thought to myself, I hope I do. I, I pray and hope that when I hear a word from God, I believe like Mary did. Now here's, an, here's another thing about the baby leaping, noticing it. And I'm not going to go off on a tangent and go into a sermon on an abortion. In another month, we'll talk, this church talks about the sanctity of life. 
But I want you to think this six-month-old, I don't know, what do you call a baby that's in that stage, six months? An unborn baby, okay. Okay, three months away from being born and recognizes that Jesus is in his presence. And Jesus is only a, a week old. Well, not a week old, but had been conceived a week ago. This had been today, maybe in the 80s, 90s. There would be people talking to Elizabeth and saying she should abort this baby. It's too risky for her. God forbid that Mary would have been taken by her parents because she was a teenager and her life was going to be ruined. She might be stoned to death. In Luke 1.15, when Gabriel was talking to Zechariah, he said about the son, John the Baptist, he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. Had you picked up on that in the past? That that, that unborn child would be able to ha harbor the Holy Spirit and be a temple of the living God before that baby was born. Do all babies, are they able to ha uh, have the Holy Spirit? I don't know. have no idea. But I know one that is. But I know they all contain a different DNA than their mother, and they all, they all are creating the image of God. When Mary hears Elizabeth speak under the power of the Holy Spirit, when Mary hears this, she goes into her song of praise. We call it the Magnificat. Magnificat, look at the beginning of that word, magnify, and that's why her praise is about magnifying the Lord. What does it mean to magnify the Lord? Well, when I was a kid, I had a magnifying glass. When I didn't care if I got in trouble or not, I took it and held it up and started fires with it. But when I really wanted to put it to its proper use, I would look at ants and little stones and everything. If I took it with an ant, the ant appeared to be much bigger than what it was. And I could see it. All the details, things I didn't even know. Just like when you take a telescope and it magnifies a planet out there. And it's unbelievable what you can see through a telescope if any of you have ever done that before. And if you haven't, look on the internet at pictures that other people have taken. It's absolutely unbelievable how big and grand those things look. Mary says, goes into response, my soul, that is my very being, magnifies the Lord. Not making God any bigger, but making God bigger in her mind. She was seeing the grandeur of God Almighty. My spirit rejoices at God my Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary was nothing. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So what should we be calling Mary? She was a blessed woman. She, got, she did something no one else ever will do again, nor has. She conceived, carried, delivered, and raised God's own son. Mary deserves our respect, not our worship. He has done mighty things. 
he has done great things, and holy is his name. I missed on verse 47. I wanted to point something out. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. If Mary was divine, why does she need my, a Savior? Now, I suppose there's some other deep theological reasons for that, but to me, just looking at that and reading the text for what it is. Responding like Mary. If we're going to respond the way that she does, that she did, our heart, our mind, everything about us ought to magnify the Lord. And what I mean by that is, in our heart, God needs to become big and great. And we need to do some soul searching. Are we, is God great and big in our heart, in our love? Is God big and great in our mind the way we picture him? Now, this is to me along with you. But if he, that's not happening right now, we need to quit that and start right now. Seeing God as absolutely big and great in our mind. He's God Almighty, and we make him too little sometimes. In the way we feel our emotions, God needs to be big and great and magnified in our emotions. And sometimes I just go through the motions when we sing. And forgive me, Lord, for doing that. When we join together and praise God, he ought to, and emotions should start welling up in me as I see the bigness and the greatness, the grandeur of God. And that ought to lead to the way I act. I ought to act like God's big and great. And instead of like he doesn't even see what I'm doing. Who do I think I'm kidding? We are to be his witnesses. Now what does that mean? I know that's in the Bible, but what does it mean? A witness just tells what they know. It doesn't mean I, I am a Bible expert, but I do know this. I was a sinner on my way to hell, and Jesus saved me. I do know this, that he walks with me every day, and though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he walks with me. I know what Jesus does, and I see the witness of him in other people. We are to support the preaching of the news about Jesus Christ in our prayers, in our encouragement. We need to be about the business of making sure the word is being preached. That takes financial investment. And it takes sending people, right? Blessed are those who were sent. And so that's why we strive to be a missional-minded church here. We want the good news to go out to those who haven't heard it, because how can they believe if they haven't heard the announcement about Jesus? And so we support our missionaries and we pray for them and we feel for them when they're in trouble. We read about some of those things that Clemmers went through and so forth and it breaks our heart that they have to leave their home and stuff and that they're in danger of being killed and kidnapped and things like that. So we need to be about the business of supporting them, don't we? Because if they're stopped, the good news about Jesus doesn't go out. And in case you haven't realized it, because you have been wearing blindfold, this world's a dark place. And we need to be the light. We need to, ref we need to reflect Jesus' light, and that makes a big difference in darkness. It only takes a little bit of light in a dark place, 
and you can see around. If this room was absolutely pitch dark and you couldn't see your hand in front of your face, if someone lights just, uh, if someone lights a cell phone, turns their cell phone light on, it would, we could probably see almost everybody in here. Just a little bit of light goes a long way. Remember that. And we need to remember Jesus exists now. He was a person at one time about 2,000 years ago, and he died, but he came back to life, and he has lived ever since and always will. Someday he'll return to earth, sit on a throne, and rule forever. In the meantime, he exists right now. The question is, will we announce him to the world? Will we partner with other Christians and the Holy Spirit in announcing him to the rest of the world? We need to respond like Mary. There's much opportunity for each of us to announce the birth of our Lord. Final question, will we magnify him in the presence of others? Father, I pray that we would. Amen.